we're in our series. We've been talking about love, God's love. We've been on this since January. We didn't start with this series, but January we talk about the four E's of our vision, embrace, encourage, equip, and empower. We've always talked about embracing others, welcoming them, being, you know, it's not about their life and, and how they are, what they look like, all that stuff. We love people the way they are. We embrace them where they are. Then we begin to encourage. And then we encourage them and, and we come alongside of them and help them in their journey. And we equip them with the word and with different resources and tools we can help them to be all God's called them to be. And then we empower them to go out and do what God's called them to do. But this year, the Lord kind of brought this to a different place for us. And we began to look at how God embraces us. Do you know you are loved? You were loved before you ever did anything for God. He embraced you before you ever did anything. He encourages you. The Bible says that he sends the Holy Spirit. When Jesus was, was leaving, he said, listen, don't go anywhere. Don't do anything until you receive the gift. This is in Acts 1-5. Until you receive the gift that I've promised you. That gift is the Holy Spirit who now dwells inside of us. We have the Spirit of God with us as believers. And, and, it's all, and that word for the Greek word there, paraclete, parakleos, is to come alongside and that's what the Holy Spirit does. He comes alongside of us as our helper, as an encourager. The Bible said he teaches us what is true. He guides us into truth. He teaches us the things of God. And that's why we have the Holy Spirit. So when we talk about how God encourages us, he, he encourages us by having his spirit with us so we don't have to live this life alone and on our own. And then he equips us with the word. Okay, His word equips and he empowers us and gives us the power, his power, to do and live out all that he's called us to live out. We talked about that. And then we got into just a little bit more about understanding what does God's love look like. And, and we went through several other uh, passages, several other scriptures, all about God's love. And we landed recently now. We've started, and we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I want to read the first five verses because we're going to start there today. The first three um, are very, uh, we've, we've talked about these already, so we're just going to read them. But it basically says, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, this is Paul saying, if I could speak in all the languages of earth and angels, if you look at the chapters around this in this letter, they're talking a lot about spiritual gifts and about all the different kind of prophetic gifts and, and all these different gifts that they're talking about. And it says, if I could speak in all these languages, but if I didn't love others, I'd just be a noising gong or a, or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, if I understood all of God's secret plans, in other words, if I knew everything that God was doing, and if I possessed all knowledge, if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. So we're seeing the importance of love. And this kind of love that it's talking about, this is the kind of love that it refers to when it talks about God is love. And we're going to get there in just a second. If I gave everything I have to the poor... And even sacrifice my body. I couldn't boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would gain nothing. So all the things that you sacrifice, all the things that you do. Listen, there are people all over the place that, that and you know some of them. We all probably have people that we've seen who they, they do all these wonderful things. But if there's not love, it's nothing. It's nothing. Here's what love is. And we talked about this last week. Love is patient. We talked about that two weeks ago, and last week we talked about love is kind. 
This is where we begin to be challenged. We looked at how is, how is God patient with us? And we're going to talk about that. How is God kind with us? And we talked about that. Remember God's patience. Because in 1 Peter it said people are like, you know, you start thinking like, and we've all done it. How many of you at some point, if you're a believer, you have. If you're not a believer, hopefully you haven't. But if you're a believer, you have said at some point, Lord Jesus, please come quickly. I mean, this world is getting crazy. And you watch the news and you're seeing all this chaos. You're seeing all this stuff going on in our government and in the world. And, and everybody's protesting everything. And, and we got people walking out of schools. And we, got, we just got crazy stuff going on. Just crazy. And we could easily just say, okay, you know what? God, this world has gotten too crazy. Just come on and get us. And the Bible says that Jesus, that God is not slow in fulfilling his promise to return. He's not slow. He's not up there saying, okay, I'll try. That's not God. You know why? It goes on to say, but he is patient because he wants all people to come to know him. In other words, he wants everyone. He wants more people to join his family. See, what if, what if before you gave your life to Jesus, somebody prayed that prayer? Jesus, come quickly. Then you would have been left. So we need to understand that God is patient with us. It talks about what else is, because love, we're talking about God. The Bible says God is love. God is love. So God is patient. And God is kind. And in Romans, we talked about last week that in, that is God's kindness that leads people to repentance. And we think sometimes that we have to somehow portray this horrible picture for people to get saved. Like, you know, the best way to get someone to serve Jesus is tell them how hot hell is. And, we, and I, listen, I've, I've seen that. I've heard it. I've had people, you know, hey. Turn or burn, buddy. You got one choice. Turn or burn. Liars are friars. You need Jesus. That doesn't encourage anyone. It's God's kindness that leads people to repentance. You know why I came to Jesus? Because I realized how much he loved me. Do you know why you came to Jesus? Because you, you realize how much he loves you. You know what that gospel is? You know what it means? The word gospel means good news. So when we're, people are struggling and they're down and they're frustrated, listen, I got some good news for you. The gospel. That's, that's, what, that's what this kindness, it's about God showing his kindness. And that's what drew us to him. Listen, I don't want to serve a God that's going to, Beat me down every time I make a mistake. But people view God that way. Because they don't understand God. Why do they not understand God? Sometimes because we as believers have portrayed a wrong picture of God. Because we beat people up if they fail. We as believers get guilty of judging people and condemning people and putting people down and Facebooking people or, or, or venting on Facebook about people, and that's not kind. So if you're not kind, I know this sounds harsh, but if you're not kind, you don't have love. 
Because love is kind. You can't have love and not be kind. You can't have love and not be patient. Does that mean you never struggle? No, I'm not saying that because we all have those moments. Listen, I told you, I, I warned you and myself, when we talk about love is patient, you are going to find yourself in some place that week where you have to exercise patience. And it happened. Did anybody, was anybody in this situation this past week where it was hard to be kind? Yeah. Why? Because we talk about it. And what does the Bible say the enemy wants to do when the seed goes down? He wants to snatch it. He wants to get that away from you before it takes root. Right? So what happens? You have all of a sudden you have people that are just mistreat you. Something happens. And that kind button, it's like, I didn't want to push it. No. I'm not pushing the kind button. They don't deserve kindness. Guess what? Neither did we. But Jesus, out of his kindness drew us to him. It was his kindness that drew us. So that's what we're talking about. Look at Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, it comes from the Spirit of God. Joy, patience, and kindness. Both of those things come from the Spirit of God. So when we say love is patient and love is kind, we're saying that we can actually, because of the Spirit of God in us, we can exercise patience and kindness because it's part of love. And the Holy Spirit produces it. So it's not us. We don't have to sit there and wake up one day and just, oh, be patient. We don't have to, you don't have to force it. Surrender your life to the Spirit of God. Let him lead you. And when those moments come, he'll help you. I promise you he'll help you. Look at 1 John 4, verse 7 and 8. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. For love comes from who? God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God. That sounds very harsh to me. Well, if you don't love, you don't know God. But, but here's why. He says it. Because God is love. So if you know God, you know love. And in John, it says in John 13, it says that love one another as I have loved you. That's what Jesus said. In other words, the only way you can love someone is you have to receive it first. You have to receive love from God, and then that love is what you do. Remember, we had the whiteboard up here um, last week, and we talked about the two types of love, and we've gone over this, but we still sometimes think of love in a humanistic way. It's conditional. As long as they treat us right, as long as they do what we want them to do, then we love. But God's love is just love. It doesn't matter what they do. It doesn't matter how they respond. It doesn't matter if they deserve it. It's just love. It's just love. That's, that's, it's not something God has. It's who he is. If you know God, you know love. And love is patient. And love is kind. Now, let's go, to the, uh, let's go back to 1 Corinthians and let's go to verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 13. It talks about love is patient and love is kind. In other words, this is God's kind of love. Okay, when we see other stuff in here, this we're going to realize, okay, that's not the kind of love that comes from God. And you're going to recognize some of this. Love is not jealous. It's not jealous. What does it mean to be jealous? You see someone else with something that you want. 
You see someone else successful. You see someone else promoted. And you wanted the promotion. And you see that. What happens in us as humans? And we can be honest. I'm not looking for the spiritual answer. Bless God, I, I just praise with them. I just rejoice with them, Pastor. We don't always do that. Sometimes it's like, I should have got that. And we become jealous of what other people have because we're looking. We don't think they deserve it. We think we do or we, we desire what they have. We have to be very careful. One translation says that it doesn't envy, which is the same thing about being jealous and envying what someone else has. When you begin to walk in jealousy and envy, here's what you're doing. You're forgetting about all the blessings that you have. And you're looking at the other stuff that you don't have. And you're missing the joy of life. Because you're a believer, you're a child of God. And there's times, listen, it happens in churches. It happens in churches where I know, and listen, I'm, I'm human. That temptation has hit me at times. When you think, man, why can't our church be like that church? You get pastors together all talking about, oh, this happened, oh, yeah, we got 20,000 people at our church. Oh, yeah, well, that's a lot. How many do y'all have? Oh, uh, here's, the, here's the patented pastor answer. Well, if everyone showed up, well, yeah, but they don't. So just tell us, you know, just tell us where you're at. You know, you got 82 people. Well, if everyone showed up, you'd have about 1,000. Yeah, whatever. That's just your way of trying to feel better. But we got to be careful that we don't, that we start looking at something that seems bigger and better, and we're missing the very healthy thing that God has here. And we can't do, we got to be very cautious because it's deceptive. It's deceptive. The enemy would want nothing more than you to focus on what you don't have than focus on what you do have. Well, I don't have this, but you do have this. Listen, in life in general, in this world, you are going to face tribulation. The Bible says it. You're going to have difficulty. But can I just encourage all of us? And the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians, encourage each other with these words. Guess what, y'all? Jesus is coming again. And one day... We're going to be in heaven, and we're going to be there for eternity, where there's no more sickness, disease, sin, sorrow, grief. There's none of that. Just joy and love, donuts, and sometimes that just came out. Love and joy and excitement and just being in the presence of God. No more sorrow, no more struggle. The Bible even tells us this, this earth is not our home. It's not our home. We're visiting. Our, our identity, who we are, it's in heaven. We're citizens of heaven. That's what the Bible says. When you gave your life to Jesus, your citizenship changed. Now you're a child of God. That's, your, that's where you live. That's your family. And one day we're all going to go home and be with him. And the, and the enemy would want nothing more than you just look at all the stuff you're missing or you think you're missing, and you actually end up missing the thing that you actually have because you think you're missing something else. And if, you, if you're always looking at what you're missing, then not only are you missing that, but you're also missing what you do have. Jealousy, it'll destroy you. It'll destroy your life. Look at this, look at this scripture. 
If we look in the context of 1 Corinthians, Paul's talking about all these spiritual gifts. I want to read to you 1 Corinthians 12, 14 through 31 real quick. <clears throat> the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says I'm not a part of the body because I'm not the hand, that doesn't make it any less part of the body. And if the ear says I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? If the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? Our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. So we'll keep it right there for a second. We're already realizing, listen, Paul is emphasizing, look, we're all different. Don't worry about what part you play and what part other people play. Don't worry. Listen, you're important. You're important the way you are. You are important and you're valuable. I said this to somebody, and I think it can scare you, but it can be a blessing too, but it, it may scare you. But listen, there is only one of me in the world. And you know me. And I know you. There's only one of you in the world. And for us to look at other people and wish we could be like that, or, oh, they got this and they got that, let me tell you, you have to fulfill your part. And if you get focused on everything else, that's not love. That's not, that's not God. And in this, and here, Paul is emphasizing because there is some people that are getting worked up over looking at this part. Well, this part seems to be better, and this part seems to be better. Just go all the way down to verse 31. Look at what verse 31 says. When he, when he goes through all of the things in all the different parts of the body, verse 31 says, So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts, but let me show you a way of life that is best for all. And then he goes into this chapter. Okay, so here's what he's saying. Look, you can desire all the, the most helpful ones, not the ones that have the most accolades and the most stuff, the ones that are most helpful. You know the spiritual gift you need the most is the one that's going to help your neighbor, is the one that's going to help your, your spouse in whatever they're going through. It's not about the ones that are up front and noticed. Every part of the body is important. Can I tell you, I'm up here every Sunday, but there is so much stuff that happens behind the scenes that is not noticed that is just as much or even more valuable than what you see just up front. And it's like that in life. We have to be careful that we don't get caught up in, in looking at all the stuff that we want, that we miss what God has for us and, and who God has made us because we're all, we think we want to be something else. Listen, you be you. That's what God created you to be. He created you to be you. James 3, 14 through 16. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly. Listen to this. Let's talk about jealousy. Earthly unspiritual, let me break that down for you, not spiritual, and demonic. That's a strong word. It is demonic for you to get caught up in jealousy. It is demonic. Go to the next verse. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, it's there that you will find Disorder and every 
and evil of every kind, where there's jealousy and selfless ambition. That's crazy. I mean, most people think jealousy, well, it's not that big a deal. I'm just a little jealous, that's all. I'm telling you, that's de- it's deceptive because jealousy is demonic. It'll destroy you. It'll cause you to miss everything God's doing in you because you're so wrapped up in something else you don't have. And it makes you very ungrateful. And the Bible says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. And you can't give thanks when you're ungrateful because all you're thinking about is what you don't have. That's not love. Love isn't that way. That's not, that's not the kind of love we need to walk in. So we got to really guard our hearts. Just a few examples. We, and look at James 4, 2 real quick. You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them, yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. Listen, let God be the one who satisfies you. Let God be the one who does the work in you. Don't allow jealousy to take root in your life. Do you know when, when Eve was deceived in the garden, when Adam and Eve were deceived, what was it the enemy said? You will be just like God. That's, that's what he said. If you take of this fruit, you will be just like God. You know what Eve thought about? What she doesn't have and what she could have, that of the one tree, of the tree there that she was standing in front, in front of, that she couldn't eat. Yet she had all these other trees, but that one that she couldn't, she was drawn to that. And the enemy deceived her because this is what you could have. That's what, that's what caused Eve. That's, that, that was part of the deception of the enemy, was what you don't have and what you could have. Remember when uh, there's a story about Joseph, when he was sold into slavery. Why? Because he had these dreams that his brothers were going to bow to him and his family was going to bow to him. And they were angry with him and they were jealous of him because he was the father's favorite. So all the brothers had this plan to kill him and they ended up, instead of killing him, they just, they sold him. They sold him away. Jealousy. It led to all kinds of evil, just like the Bible says. What other passages were there? Remember Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel both brought a sacrifice to God. Abel's was the one that God was pleased with. Cain was jealous about that. So Cain killed his brother. Jealousy brought death. That's what happened in the scripture. I mean, it's, it's crazy to look at all the things. And there's... When we go into Luke 15 and the prodigal son, remember the son that, that ran off and he spent all his father's inheritance and he, and he wasted his money on wild living and he was at the worst place and he, he ends up in this pig pen and he's like, I, if I could just go back as a servant because I have nothing left. He hit rock bottom and the Bible says when he finally came to his senses, he knew if I go back home, at least I could be a servant. And he goes home and his father celebrates him that he comes home. And he has a party for him. And the older brother, whose brother just came home, makes this statement. Well, I never did all that. I did everything you said. In other words, I didn't do all that. Why does he get a party and I don't get a party? And it caused him to be angry and not even want to go in and celebrate his brother coming home. See, you see through Scripture. There's more. You can see through Scripture all of what jealousy will destroy you. And it starts with just this one little, oh, man, that's, oh, I wish I could have. And it leads down this demonic road. 
We got to be cautious and let the Lord help us. All right, let's go to the next little verse. It says, not only is love is patient and kind, but it said it's not jealous. And then in verse 4, it says also, it's not boastful or proud. What does that mean? Well, one is looking at others. Jealousy, you're looking at what others have. Boastful and proud. Now you're in a place of not, now looking and putting yourself above others. And both of those, doesn't matter which side you go, both of those, they'll mess you up. There's a bunch of scriptures about the demise of pride in your life. A bunch of them. We're going to hit them really fast. Okay, we'll just go one after. Let's look at this first one because we'll see the example of Jesus on humility. Philippians 2, 6 through 11. Though he was God, he didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave, was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the highest place of honor, gave him the name above other names. And at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. This is where Jesus came, and although he was God, he humbled himself and became a slave. He went from the highest to the lowest. That's a place of humility. See, pride wants to always elevate yourself. Boasting is always about, look what I'm doing. Check me out. And, and that's, that's, not what, that's not what love looks like. Doesn't, that's not a characteristic of God. It's not a characteristic for you to walk around boastful and proud. Look at uh, Philippians 2.3. Don't be selfish and don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. That's what love is. Love is humble. It thinks of others. Pride and boasting is you. You're thinking of you. That's not... That's not what this is. Look at Proverbs 11 too. We'll just roll through these one after another. Pride leads to disgrace. With humility comes wisdom. Proverbs 13.10. Pride leads to conflict. Those who take advice are wise. Proverbs 16.18. Pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. Listen, it says pride goes before falls. I'm just telling you. If you walk in pride, there is a fall in your future. Just, just saying. Well, thanks for the encouragement, Pastor. I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm just trying to say scripturally. That's why I want to deal with pride. Because pride is all about us. Humility is all about others. Proverbs 26, 12. There is more hope for fools than for people who think they are wise. Proverbs 27, 2. Let someone else praise you, not your own mouth. A stranger, not your own lips. You know, one of the things that is always, uh, I'll just tell you this, and I think I've said this before, but I grew up playing sports, and if there's one thing that can define uh, that I've seen, I'm not saying always, but I know some of you athletes out there will probably recognize this. The really good athletes don't tell you how good they are. I have coached, I've played for years, I coached, and when I coached, 
I actually, I coached our church softball team at a church I was at a long time ago. And I'll never forget a guy come up to me and he's like, Pastor, you coach a softball team? I'm like, yeah, you need me. And I automatically, in the back of my head, I thought, he's horrible. He's a horrible ball player. Because he's got to tell me because he knows down deep his, his actions are not going to say that. So he's got to say it. I said, we got practice this afternoon, man. Come on out. He comes out. He's got jeans on. I'm like, I tell you, it's softball, like playing softball. He's got flip-flops on. He doesn't have a glove. I'm like, for someone who's really good, you don't even know the proper equipment. He comes out, and he, he, he is, I know this sounds harsh. I'm just, I'm just being real. He was horrible. He was not good. He, okay, I'll be nice. He had potential <laughs> with a lot of work. We had another guy who said, you know, I ain't played in a while, man. I mean, I'd, I'd enjoy being out there, just fellowship with the other guys. I ain't played in a lot. I, I ain't played in a long time. So I don't know if I can help or not, but I'm willing to come out. He comes out, and I'm, I'm like, good gracious, this dude is amazing. Later on, I find out he played for the Mets. He played in the farm leagues. Um, he played in Japan, and I was like, oh, you didn't tell me that. Well, he didn't have to. He just went out and played. It wasn't about elevating himself or putting anybody down. He just came out. So, so pride, we don't, have to let, we don't have to always praise ourselves. That doesn't mean you can't say, oh, man, guess what? You know, I want my kids to come home and say, I got an A on that test. I don't want them to come home and say, well, someone tell my dad I got an A. I can't praise myself. It's not like that. But I am saying you can, you can rejoice at the successes of your life but not in a way that you're constantly trying to build yourself up over others because that's prideful, and it, and it comes before a fall. Look at Romans 12, 3. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given you. Can I tell you, this is one thing that I believe we've made a shift, at least here and in my life, and I'm continuing to get better at it. But part of pride, it's rooted in insecurity. Because we have to somehow paint ourselves to be better because we down deep don't feel we are. And what I'm finding out in my own life and what I've tried to lead us as a church in is let's be real. And let's be okay sharing our weaknesses because that's what's going to strengthen us. The Bible says in our weakness, his strength is perfect. Pride wants to act like we don't, we don't have any problems. See, I grew up, even in Bible college, I was taught as a pastor, don't get up there and apologize or tell people you did something you shouldn't have because they're looking for you to have it all together. And I understand what they were trying to say, but I'm like, can I just tell you some of the greatest moments in my life as a pastor have come from when I acknowledge my own stuff? I was speaking at a church, and I just said, listen, several years ago, even my wife and I, man, we, we had just settled, and we had just done ministry the way we've done it, and our marriage just the way it was. And we struggled. And we were just settled. We just figured this must be how it is. 
And we weren't at a healthy place. And we went, and we, we went, we drove seven and a half hours to meet three days with this intense therapist, marriage therapist, that rocked our worlds. And I had never cried more in my life than in day one. I did not like that man <laughs> until afterwards, and I realized, man, I got a lot, a lot of stuff in me. I shared that story after it was over. I told him, I said, so we've been, listen, I don't have it all together either. I struggle too. I still have moments of insecurity in my life. I still have moments where I struggle. And after the, after the message, someone came up to me and said, you need to be real careful, Pastor, you know, when you're speaking about your personal stuff. And I'm like, what do I need to be careful of? Well, you don't want people to think, actually, I do. Because I want them to know I'm just as human as you are. And I got skin on too. And we got to fight this thing constantly. I don't have an extra anointing as a pastor. We all have the same spirit of God. What happened is after that one conversation, which was really short, I had about 10 others of people that said, man, that was so encouraging because my wife and I have been struggling. And I just I feel ashamed to tell anyone. But hearing that even a pastor struggles, it makes me feel like I'm, I can, I'm okay. I said, bro, you are okay. You know what? God can heal just like he did mine. That's, 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 where, the, that's where pride begins to drop because we can just say, look, you know, it, honestly, it is pride when you come in here on Sunday and be, how you doing? Great. <laughs> and you're not. What makes you think you have to say you're great? Why don't you say, you know what, man, I'm struggling a little bit. But, man, I'm here, and I know God's going to speak to me. I know I'm going to be encouraged. You know how many times we just throw out, I'm great? Right? Or is it just me? Anybody else do it? Okay, four of you. The rest of you. <laughs> we'll talk about lying later. The, it's all, it's, it's, it's pride. It's like we can't acknowledge that we, we all got stuff. Pride wants to hide that. Pride wants you to act like you have it all together when you don't. And you got to be very, very careful to not think of yourself so high that you miss the reality of where you really are. Because it'll, it'll affect you. I mean, I'm, it'll affect you. Pride, it'll tear you up. I'll share this story with you. I shared it Wednesday night. I don't, just to let you know how human I am. Just a couple weeks ago, there was something, and it wasn't a big deal, and, and it had nothing to do with anything, so don't think that these guys were, did anything bad. But I came in the office, and there was a couple of things that, that, that happened or didn't happen that spoke to me, and I got very upset with the two guys that are on staff here. And you know who they are. And I got very upset with them. And I knew, just don't say nothing, because it takes a lot for me to get aggravated to that degree. But I was aggravated. And I went in my office and I closed the door, which I hardly ever close my door unless I'm studying. And I sat down I thought, Lord, something's wrong. Something's wrong. I'm angry. 
Now, there were some things that I could talk with them later and say, hey, this would have been a better thing or this needed to be. But there was something in me, and I knew something's wrong. So Tuesday, I'm in my office. I come in Wednesday, and I go straight to my office. I'm not playing the quiet game with the guys. I need time with God. And I go out of my office, and I was like, Lord, something is not right. Why? Why did I get so angry? Now, I didn't, I didn't do anything. I didn't go breaking stuff or throwing stuff. I just went in my office. But I knew that I was holding it back, and I knew I was really angry. I told you we'd be honest. Y'all are like, oh, boy, <laughs> pastor's crazy. No, I'm not. But here's what happened. You know what the Lord showed me? He says, pride. He says, there's a place in you that you're insecure. And what they did touched that place. And it's not what they did. It's a raw spot in you that needs to be healed, and that would have never bothered you. And I'm telling you, I'm the pastor. I'm the boss back there. And I was like, I started to, you kind of at some point, you have to open that wound up. I was like, God, you're right. It made me feel like I didn't, like I made a bad decision. And it made me feel like if they don't respect me as a leader, then something's wrong with me. And what that tells me is that my value is in what they think. And my value is what everybody else thinks. And my value needs to be on God. Did I do what you tell me to do? And I did. And the people think that that was bad or wasn't a good decision. Why, why should I let it bother me if my security is in you? And this is what I did. I, I pulled Chris in my office. I said, hey, I got upset, man. And it wasn't you. I'm insecure. I struggled today, whether I was a good pastor. And when that happened the way it did, it made me question that. And it hit that raw place in me. And it caused me to get angry because I didn't want to look at that. I didn't want to look at that place where I feel insignificant. And me not wanting to look at it is pride. And then I called Curtis in my office. And there's a joke with both those guys that when they come in my office, you better have a Kleenex just because they'll cry. But I was the one this time. And I'm like, Curtis, listen, man, I got really upset. And I want you to know it wasn't you. It was me. And I want to lead by example. Bro, I'm insecure. At this moment, at this time, when I came in the office, it hit a place in me that I happened to be feeling insecure. And it hit that place of devalue because my value is not where it's supposed to be. And you know what it did? It brought healing and freedom to me. To be able to say, that was my issue. You know what it did for those guys? One, it made them know that <laughs> their job's not on the line. No, I'm just kidding. It wasn't anyway. It was like, wow. They realized, man, my pastor just modeled for me that we need to do inventory in our own life. When things happen and we get irritated and we get frustrated, because we think we're too good to be treated a certain way or we're too good or whatever. Let me tell you the root of that, it's insecurity. Because you have to make yourself, you have to try to feel here because you don't want to feel 
what you're feeling. And pride always puffs up, always exaggerates the truth. I'm not saying be, I'm not saying walk around all feeling horrible and dejected like you're a nobody. There's a healthy part of your identity being in Christ and you being strong and secure with who you are. But not to the point where you begin to elevate yourself over others. And you're going to find those places of pride. I would ask you to do this, to dig deep. And you go before God and say, Lord, will you show me what it is in me that caused me to respond that way? And I promise you he'll do it. Last scripture, look at Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 9. Jesus told this story of someone who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everybody else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not a sinner like everyone else. For I don't cheat, I don't sin, I don't commit adultery. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. Could you imagine the tax collector being over there just praying? Excuse me? I mean, could you imagine what that would be like? Did God, did he just say? Yeah, he did. I fast twice a week. I give you a tenth of my income. In other words, I tithe, I fast. But the tax collector, he's over at a distance. And he doesn't even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed because he's already feeling, he feels like he's just not even worthy. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow saying, God, will you be merciful to me? Because I'm a sinner. I've messed up. Jesus says this, I tell you, the sinner, not the Pharisee, Return home justified before God. You know what justified means? Here's a good way that I learned it. Break it down. Just as if I'd never sinned. Justified. Just as if I'd never sinned. That's what it means to be justified in the eyes of God. And he went justified home. He went home justified. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exhausted. So you have a Pharisee over here who says all this stuff, puffs himself up. I'm better. I do this. Look at all that I do. Look at all that I do. Yet Jesus said he's not the one going home justified. It's the one who knows where he was and humbles himself to say, God, without you, I'm nothing. We're all in that place. We have to, we have to just... Allow the love of God to flow so much in us. Because here's the deal. It's all about receiving God's love. The more of God's love you receive, the less jealous you become. The more the love of God is in your life, the less boastful you are. You begin to boast about God. The more God's love flows through your life, the less prideful you are. Because you're thinking of others way more than you're thinking of yourself. That's, that comes from the love of God. Patience and kindness, and then the love like humility and compassion towards others. Not jealousy, pride, or boastful. That doesn't come from God.